And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours today for a little bit of coffee this morning. And we very briefly talked about, um, you know, uh, all the things you want to achieve in life and when you're younger and all the things you want to do. And it's like, and you hear lots of platitudes along this line. Tell me if you've heard anything like this before, Aaron, in your life. And my, my favorite version of this is the Back to the Future version. It's when Marty says, you know, it's like Doc says, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. <laughs> and I feel like there are lots of different variations of this kind of, ho- however you want to phrase it. You, whatever you want to do, reach for the stars. You can always, you know, achieve your dreams, whatever. So here's my question for the day, Aaron. Hopefully it's not too much of a bummer. Are we justified in believing that we can achieve anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Good night. <laughs> no. Hard no. Absolutely not justified. No. But it's funny and cute and adorable that we try so hard mm. as a species. Do you think it, do you think there's any harm in it, or is it just depending on how you use it, relatively harmless? What's, it's something I've heard a lot since I was a kid. Inherently, no. I think it's a good mindset for good success. Mindset. Yeah. Okay. And like, in practice theory right like how you want to live your life that's a good way to be like you can do anything if you put your mind to it you put a little elbow grease into it put your nose to the grindstone what are those what are some other ones pull your bootstraps up pull up pull up (laughs) pull yourself up by your bootstraps get yourself out of homelessness make yourself a bootstrap factory (laughs) no manifest 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 the secret manifest destiny um (laughs) okay well um yeah um, yeah, good mindset to have. Okay. But maybe not necessarily always the it, case. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it gets taken a little extreme, you know. Well, this would be a fun little thing to look at in Star Trek because Star Trek has such a positive, optimistic out, outlook on the future. So, um, yeah, this would be fun to see um, what Star Trek has to say about this. Um, of course, um, you are listening to Star Trek Stories, everyone at home listening. Um, this is episode 25, Q-Who. Aaron, we've made it to the quarter mark of our 100 episode list, 25th anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Big milestone for us on the show. Um, I, of course, am your marvelous host, Jaren Hatch, and I'm joined here by my splendid co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. How you doing, Jaren? Not too bad. Um, we are... Still early in our look at the TNG Renaissance. Um, this is the second episode in our little season twofer. Um, last time our good friend Alan was on to watch the classic episode, The Measure of a Man. One of those um, early episodes that helped solidify TNG's character-based morality play of the week format. Yeah, so this is going to be another classic from season two. Maybe not an all-time classic, but still a classic in its own right. And, um, of course, this being a Q episode. Who else do we have to come talk about it but our good friend Jake Barnes? <sighs> Hi. That's the masses. That, that is the masses. All of the masses. stadiums full of fans. <laughs> Q, 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 Jake, Jake, Jake. <laughs> 
Jake, how the hell are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so Jake, uh, in case you are new to the show, Jake has been on watching all of the TNG Q episodes with us. Last time you were here, we watched Hyde and Q. Yeah, so far Q has been portrayed as kind of a trickster god. Um, it's kind of been like testing the crew of the Enterprise as kind of roundabout way of like testing humanity. Um, so we're about two episodes in with this. What's the feeling on Q so far, Jake? How do we feel they've, I don't been handling him. Uh, I like that you said trickster. I think that's kind of his MO Mm -hmm. is to be conniving and sneaky. And, um, but I think, uh, in the last episode and what I hope they'll explore more here is the vulnerability of Q and the Q in its, in itself because the Q as a whole seems to be upset with Q the individual. And Q the individual seems to be having some sort of existential crisis that humans may one day reach the same or power as him or ex- yeah, exceed them. And so I'm hoping that that sort of fear comes into play here because that was the most interesting part. Is like here's this God being and you can see that he's scared mm. of Picard. Mm. It's almost like they've pulled back the curtain a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not, I mean, yes, he's super powerful, but maybe he's not exactly the actual wizard of Oz. Maybe he's a little closer to the right. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, yeah, that's definitely probably more interesting than just being actually just completely like I am basically God and nothing phases me. Yeah. Clearly stuff phases this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's not there just to, just to fuck with them, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a much deeper thing that he's trying to explore here to see where they're headed as a species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the continuum seems to be generally in- interested in humanity, but Q himself seems to, there, there's something person, something seemingly personal about it for him, which is kind of interesting. That's almost like, yeah, I'm feeling threatened by it somehow. Um, yeah. Um, I always like watching the Q episodes and it's kind of fun to see just how Q develops over time. So that'll be fun to look at. Um, you know, and speaking of omnipotent beings, you know, Q can do anything. Um, so, but going to our question from earlier, Jake, do you think we are justified in believing that we can achieve anything or whatever, you know, your version of that phrase or mindset is? Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Loaded question. It is a loaded question. Um, you can achieve nothing. Good night, everyone. <laughs> uh, circumstantially justifiable, mm. um, depending on your given circumstances, environment, family, wealth, status. I mean, the list goes on and on for different uh, variables that would have you make or not, or reach or not reach your goals. Um, that's the safe answer. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the 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 real answer the where my heart leans is is no no yeah it's a it's an unfortunate reality that I think most of us face mm. at some point or another. Yeah, I mean, like, do you think? I mean, I'm certainly some people achieve their dreams or whatever, like I get achieve anything they put their mind to, but it's like I'm curious if you would have asked us like even ten years ago, what our answer would it be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would it be more optimistic? Mm. Yeah, I mean, in this conversation I was having, I mean, it was something for me in the last few years because I used to have an incredibly optimistic mindset, mm. but like, but blind optimism. Mm-hmm. And 
to the point where I had become almost like a little personal religion. I mean, I love Star Trek, and Star Trek has a very optimistic mindset. Um, but then, you know, getting a little older, it's kind of realizing, like, am I justified in having – is there a danger just to blind optimism? Are you kind of missing something if you're just looking at everything through that lens? There's a danger to blind anything. Right. Um, including optimism. But just, you know, to be on the other side of the coin, kind of what Aaron was saying, it seems like a really great mindset. You know, it seems like a healthier mindset to believe that you have the capability to accomplish things that are difficult and hard. That's a better mindset than believing you cannot and um, not facing the fight or the challenge. So it, it it's a very <laughs> nuanced thing to discuss, right. even though it's usually put in such simple terms. You can do anything mm-hmm. or... Uh, as we discussed before, now it's manifestation is kind of the evolution of that. You know, you you put these things into the universe, the universe bounces it back at you. I, I think there is truth to that to a degree, you know, when you're getting into vibrations of the universe mm. and quantum string theory and shit mm. like that. Quantum foam. Yeah, mm. all that good stuff. Yeah, there's studies that say that belief in general for the human brain is important, very important to the function of a healthy brain. Sure. Whatever healthy means, like having faith in something, having a belief in if it's religion or if it's your own motivation to achieve something or make something, you know, like that the belief is what's important. Right. You know, to a certain degree. And, you know, this is speaking to someone who is a skeptic, secularist, an atheist. But I'm like, but there is a real power in belief, like what, you know, for good or or ill, you know, whether it's religion or our political philosophy or something as, you know, mundane as like fandom, it's like, there's a real power that comes in that. And even just believing in something. Yeah. And you're right. There are studies that can't like that positive mindset, at least oriented towards something. It's like, it can be very powerful and it can be very propelling. Um, but then there are limits. So, there's like a kind of interesting little gray area there. Like, yeah, positive mindset, but like to literally believe you could do anything. It's like to- toxic positivity. You can take mm-hmm. it too far. Right. Um, and it's something our country or culture seems to really latch onto. It's like, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And it's interesting to see like what the pros and cons to that kind of constant, you know. Makes a great story. Mm-hmm. I think we lean on that as a species, as a, a formula for stories. Mm. We like seeing the underdog reach their goals. It's um, We've seen that time and time again. Rocky. Ro- I mean, yeah. <laughs> Not the first Rocky. one. <laughs> Chief Other O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, Chief O'Brien. He gets there in the end. <laughs> he leaves that transporter room. He always had it, though. He's had his family from the get-go, you know, on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. O'Brien's living the good life. Yeah. He's got the good life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of stories, should we see how this Star Trek story gives, gives us any insight into, um, our, if we're justified in thinking we can achieve anything? Golly, I hope so. Golly, oh, yeah. Let's do it. What is the name of this one again? Yeah. So like we said earlier, this is Q who Q who, um, this premiered May 8th, 1989. This is the 16th episode produced for the second season. Um, definitely in the back half of the season. Um, last time we talked about how um, Gene Roddenberry had taken a bit of a step back in this season for health reasons. Um, 
and his handpicked successor, Maurice Hurley, was in charge of keeping the original vision going as best he can while also trying to energize and improve the show. Kind of an impossible situation because Ron Barry is very strict about his mandates and <laughs> his vision. Um, and we talked about how there was a lot of chaos behind the scenes during this whole time. Um, so while this season is often similar to the first season, there are a few episodes that give glimpses into what the show was going to become. Um, and this one is most certainly one of them, like the last one we watched, Measure of a Man. Um, the first and most obvious thing we're going to be looking at in this one is how the show starts to recontextualize Q during this Renaissance period. Um, and, you know, since Q kind of appears throughout the whole show, he's kind of a fun little benchmark for kind of charting the growth of the show. It's like he's there from literally start to finish. So you can almost kind of see where the show is anytime he shows up. It's kind of a fun kind of way to look at the show. Yeah. Really uh, the closest thing to like a an overarching umbrella to begin to the yeah, yeah, to the whole show, for sure. Um, um and then this episode was also part of a concerted effort to raise the stakes for the show. Um and in fact, elements in this episode were supposed to be introduced in like the season premiere, this big slam bang season premiere, but the 1988 writer strike happened, which is funny because now we're in the middle of a writer strike right now. Another uh, one. Another one. Um, so that kind of prevented <laughs> another one. Yeah. Another there's, one. There's been a few. Another, another one. one. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a few. Financial crisis. Another one. Another one. <laughs> um, yeah. So they they weren't able to make this big slam bang season premiere that they wanted to but they eventually got around to using these elements these kind of raise the stake elements in this episode so that's something we're also going to get to see is how successful they are in their attempts to raise the stakes of the show let's go stakes um, all right, so this is, um, for those of you at home listening, this is your invitation to watch Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 2, Episode 16, and we will be back after we watch Q. be leaving now. 
You thought you could handle it. So handle it. Q. End this. Moi? What makes you think I'm either inclined or capable to terminate this encounter? If we all die here, now, you will not be able to gloat. You wanted to frighten us. We're frightened. You wanted to show us that we were inadequate for the moment. I grant that. You wanted me to say, I need you. I need you! Position? Zero seven zero, mark six three, sir. Back where we started. That was a difficult admission. Another man would have been humiliated to say those words. Another man would have rather died than asked for help. I understand what you've done here, Q. But I think the lesson could have been learned without the loss of 18 members of my crew. If you can't take a little bloody nose, maybe you ought to go back home and crawl under your bed. It's not safe out here. It's wondrous with treasures to satiate desires both subtle and gross. But it's not for the timid. We just got done watching Q, her, oh. um, in case you haven't seen this one or didn't watch it with us, Q shows up again, um, this time wanting to join as a member of the crew, and Picard's like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, Q's like, Paul, are you sure? But you need me. Picard's like, no, we don't. And then Q engineers a situation where they run across a species called the Borg, like it's just a race of cyber, like a hibernetic hive mind of drones that just swarms through the galaxy and just destroys and assimilates everything. And they're way out of their league. And Picard just says, okay, you join, get us out of here. Um, and that's essentially what the, what the episode is. And it's a whole big lesson for captain Picard, apparently. Oh, it's um, terrifying. Yeah. So initial thoughts on Q who Jake Barnes. Q's 
Fuck Q's punk ass. <laughs> <laughs> he, man, this, Hard uh, agree. this yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. It had some really good stuff in it, um, but it was irritating. Mm. It was frustrating to watch. Um, Q just toy with humanity in this way for really no reason mm. other than he's bored. He even says he's bored. Yeah, he does say that. And the repercussions <laughs> of what comes after this um, mm. because we were introduced to the Borg and as and we all well as everyone in this room knows that becomes a big the big bad the the big villain thing in TNG and it just i don't remember seeing this episode i mean i know i've seen it but it i don't remember knowing the roots it's easy of the borg <laughs> the the first borg episode is a q episode yeah yeah it's an interesting little crossover it sort of makes sense. Yeah, fuck that guy. From a Q perspective, he's like, you're going to run into these guys eventually, so it may as well be now. Yeah, the Borg are, are terrifying when you really think about them. Mm-hmm. This, what a what a nightmare existence. Like, are, are they conscious in there somewhere? Mm-hmm. Deep inside, all that. It's the Borg drones once they get assimilated. Yeah, they are freaky. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think this one is, this is the freakiest one I think we've watched so far. This, this one definitely leaves a much, even though they've had, we've had like serious stuff show up on the show, the try like Q putting them on trial for humanity. We've had like the Romulans briefly show up, you know, uh, Armis, the skin of evil, <laughs> you know, but there's, this just takes it to a whole different level. Like they feel completely helpless and out of their league in this episode. And a way I don't think you usually often see on Star Trek and like, there's some crazy stuff they come across, but they always feel like they can handle it. This one just feels like you have zero chance, at least at this point in the game. Jordy does a great job or LeVar does a great job in that first moment when the drone comes aboard Mm -hmm. showing the fear. Yeah. Just, he just beamed aboard. Oh fuck. Intruder. It kind of feels almost out of genre in a way, mm. like in in a good way. But it feels like like an episode of Goosebumps or something. Mm. There's something uh, a horror element to it. It it's uh, the lighting's really dark. A lot of the shots are dark. Mm-hmm. The things they talk about are kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even compared to the like the other two Q episodes, which again are serious. Like mm-hmm. he has that whole in the hiding queue. He does the whole war games and you even see Wesley like die for a hot second, but it all just get, it gets erased. There's still something about this one though, that just feels so much more ominous. Um, and maybe we can start here. Cause I mean, this is technically a Q episode. It's, it's like, do you talk about it as a Borg episode or a Q episode, but it's both. Um, and Q sets the whole thing up. Um, he feels much more, yeah ominous and and then he does in the first two here much more threatening um how do you guys feel that like does that feel like a pretty stark contrast from where he's been i mean he's been kind of like cruel in the past but this this, he feels a whole lot different in this one sure i mean he was on a leash before to the continuum right and now that he's been kicked out he's in exile it's kind of like he can explore whatever he can do whatever he wants to a certain degree 
Yeah, he does seem particularly cruel. And I mean, he um, brushes off the 18 crew members that pass away as a slight bloody nose. Bloody nose. That's (laughs) 18 people's lives. And the captain, you know, obviously upset by it and shaken by it and very emotional. And um, he was just so cold. Again, that's why this episode's frustrating, because if Q's not bored and being a dick one day, we don't even have an episode. Mm-hmm. And the humans never encounter the Borg, and then the Borg never pursue humans, and we don't have that domino effect. Mm. I mean, in hindsight, it's good, because we got a lot of great Borg episodes out of it. Oh, hell yeah. But fuck that guy. <laughs> um... But, you know, Picard does have that line at the end where he's like, well, maybe he's doing this just to give us a. And, and Q even says this is like a preview of things to come. So it does make you wonder. It's like how much of this is. Introduces the board to them, because we this is briefly set up in the neutral zone, which we watched a, a, a while ago. But they, where they just mentioned like both the Romulans and the Federation has had colony their colonies along the neutral zone scooped away and they're not sure where they went. And they never figure out that in that episode. But Data has that quick little throwaway line of it's just just exactly what happened down in the neutral zone. Like, and that's a lot closer. Like, so I'm like, yeah, were they were they already aware? And does and if the Borg were already aware and investigating, does that change Q's I don't know how we our perspective on Q. Oh gosh. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, he, I truly believe he's doing Starfleet a favor in this episode, despite his malice and, and twisted ways of doing so. I can see that. I can see also, um, because he's omnipotent, he exists outside of space and time as we know it. Mm -hmm. So maybe, he knows that his interference in a way is actually part of the human evolution. Mm. Um, he's a very vital, he plays a very vital role in humans getting to the next tier mm. of their existence. And so maybe no matter what happens in the universe, Q has to do this. Mm. I don't know. So that the timeline doesn't mess up. It's part of the, larger tapestry of things yeah exactly getting kind of meta with it but it's like mm. reese has to go back in time <laughs> right so that sarah connor can get <laughs> pregnant with john right. if he's not sent back from the future there is you, you know don't what understand i can't <laughs> go back chicken in the egg will chicken in the egg the moments rose that are locked in time do you understand <laughs> um well, you know, so let's say, I mean, here's an interesting question. And this is always one of the interesting things about talking when we're looking at Q episodes. So much of what Next Generation deals with is morality and ethics and just Star Trek too, on a whole. But Next Generation really leans into the morality and ethical kind of drama. Um, Q is interesting because he's like a godlike being. And so it does pose this question is like, what does morality look like for a being like that? Whether right or wrong, just what does it look like for a being like that? And it makes you like, so like, here, the, here's a question. It's like, if let's say this is a favor on, on Q's part, but does it justify losing 18 people? No, no, of course not. Nothing justifies the violence. Mm-hmm. 
So even if it is a favor, it is still kind of like, but fuck you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 18 that, people that, are dead. That's what makes Q a punk ass little bitch. Yes. Right. To make a point. Yeah. 18 people are dead. <laughs> like we get it. Right. They're, they're clearly superior in every way. You didn't have to wipe out like what? Uh, 50th of the crew almost a 40th, something like that. Well, there's like a thousand people okay. on board. So, so a fraction, a smaller fraction. I was thinking still, OG Enterprise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like 400. Yeah. Creates this impossible situation just to satisfy his own ego mm-hmm. to get Captain Picard to need him. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, he has no remorse for the people that died. He got exactly what he wanted. And mm-hmm. Redshirt count. Yeah. In that episode for sure. And it's almost like the perspective of someone looking down on ants, or at least that's how he seems to be looking at everything. It's like, what do I care? You guys are just basically ants. It's like, hey, if you ants can't tough it out there, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. What business is it of yours? For <laughs> <laughs> fucking ants. Yeah. So this lesson of his, it very much like, you know, it's so much rooted in ego, even if it is like a valuable like even Picard, like it seems to recognize it's like there is something valuable to be learned here still. Like, and we would be fools not to learn something from this situation. Um, and Q kind of almost passes as it off as a, as a lesson to be learned. Um, and, but so much of it is to satisfy his own ego, but you know, especially I was, I was watching it this time. I wonder how much of the ego blame also falls on Captain Picard in this episode. Um, all Picard needed to do then in the situation at any time was say, I need you. Badly. Uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> I need you. Badly. Yeah, Shatner were doing it. Uh, I don't just, just Picard, even though Picard didn't create the scenario, does Picard share some of the kind of ego blame in this episode? Is this kind of looking at his ego also, or maybe his pride? It could be. It, maybe it's he was fooled into thinking it was going to be more of the same initially, mm-hmm. you know. But, I mean, uh, Yar died, you know. Mm-hmm. So he should maybe have been a bit more on guard mm-hmm. at this point. Maybe he thought it was going to be another, like, battle of ideological wits or something between him and Q. Mm-hmm. And, and Q upped the stakes quite a bit. Yeah. But I really think maybe it was like a slap in the face that he needed to have to shake his ideals a little bit to strengthen him, to steal him. I think he's put in a tough position. I don't think there's, um, I don't think it's just ego involved, Picard. I, I think Q has a pattern of repeated behavior, of distrust, uh, people getting hurt, people dying. So it doesn't seem, you know, uh, like, it doesn't seem like a bad idea to question his motives mm. and to be constantly questioning that. Even in the face of the Borg, you still never know what is going to happen when you're dealing with Q. So until there is literally no other option, mm. that's when Picard finally goes to that. Because he's afraid that he may be falling into some sort of trap otherwise. Right. I mean, it's how, how, yeah, you're constantly guessing at Q's motives. You know, it's like it would be easy to think any any option could be playing right into his hand. And it's like, how would you know? Um, 
but you know, it is interesting because you, like you said, he kind of comes at it initially like, oh, here we go again, cue, and we're going to have a... Because in the first two episodes, they're much more trickster god variety um, just in the sense that um, Picard essentially defeats him in the first two episodes. And like, kind of like uh, last time I talked about, there's almost like this Rumpelstiltskin thing where like Picard fooled him up and just is kind of how the, he is in the first two episodes. And so it almost looks like he, uh, Picard's coming at this. It's like, I'll defeat. So you're going after data this time. Excellent. He'll defeat you the same way I did. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense too. He's like, I'm two for two here, man. What are you doing back? Right. Um, you know, the hottest part of my day today was the cocoa cue. <laughs> Fuck you. I think he was like, okay, here's the board. Um, and they're completely, yeah, they don't win at all. Not at all. It, it literally is just, okay, please end this. You win kind of a situation is how they resolve this. And it's a very, there's not a lot of Star Trek episodes I don't think end this way. It's very humbling. Humbling, kind of dismal. <laughs> right. And yeah, it doesn't leave on a happy note. It's more like Guinan assures them that this is going to happen again. Yeah, they're coming. Very ominous note it ends on. <laughs> mm-hmm. The costumes of the Borg, just to switch gears for a second, mm-hmm. were awesome. Very cool. Really creative, loving all the like tubes and gadgets. Mm-hmm. Really cool. The Borg babies. The, the, the Borg, Borg babies. babies. The Borg babies. <laughs> the little Borg babies. Yeah, I guess some of that was, part of their idea was um, they thought about them as like, cause they made them all look white. And like they were, they wanted to make them look almost like they were corpses, mm-hmm. but like just kind of animated. It's kind of how the boar come across. And then some other feeling was like just part different parts of the body just were disintegrating at different rates for just different beings. So that's why there's this kind of mishmash of different. They're not all uniform. It's like this this Borg's lost an eye, and this Borg's got a tube coming from here to here. Just kind of almost trying to play with this idea that they're all decomposing in different ways, and they're getting different parts to. And it makes them feel really icky and creepy. Even yeah, they um, they even have their own ominous music that goes along with them. Uh, usually, Star Trek has this very adventurous, triumphant music. As soon as the Borg are on screen, it's these like industrial tones and weird dark synths and synth, dissonant yeah. tones and <laughs> robot noises. Mm-hmm. It's freaky. It's really yeah. It's really effective. <clears throat> Um, yeah, talk about, so yeah, like you said, Jake, these essentially become the big bad of TNG. You could argue for the whole franchise, um, but certainly for TNG. Um, and it's so interesting in that last time in our last list, we watched their first attempt to introduce a big bad, the Ferengi, which just, you you couldn't have failed more <laughs> in trying to roll out the big boar, the, the big bad in the last outpost. So talk about in this episode, man, did they this time around though, st- stick the landing like home run, like their first go like right out of the bat. It's amazing. Just how, how oh my God, these guys are full cosmic horror. Just, oh, no. They're coming for all of us. Um, yeah. The design around their world, really works you know they they act as like a battery for their own ship Mm -hmm. i feel like that was a really cool idea that they're each 
um, part of this larger collective, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I think uh, in a lot of like meditative practices or religions and things, we kind of, as a species, aspire to be one. We are all one. We are Harmony. all interconnected. And then we see this like <laughs> kind of shit version of that idea. <laughs> like, yeah, these people are all connected, but it sucks. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they have zero individuality and um, the, their sole existence is to just conquer and do nothing else really mm-hmm. um, yeah they, they're a good thematic villain like the Ferengi are an obvious because they're supposed to be like anti-capitalist um, which kind of makes sense for the Federation ethos but like it just doesn't end up working very well at all always just comes across as silly. <laughs> um, but the Borg are, they're kind of a more thoughtful, like thematic villain. And they're like, they are, cause to get Star Trek always has this like togetherness, like we are stronger together. Um, and the Borg are kind of this nightmare version of that. Mm-hmm. Their whole thing is ultimate togetherness. <laughs> and that's what's coming after you. But it's like, it's gone off the fucking rails. Yeah, that's, bad together (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so they're they just they represent that even for the this whole episode seems to just kind of take the whole ideal of star trek and say well hold on like they don't win in this one the borg are like ultimate togetherness coming after them and they are completely ill-equipped to deal with it and it's like yeah that's it's just all flying right in the face of the Star Trek ethos. From a writing perspective, though, you, I mean, we know the stories that come after, but if you just had this, it can be kind of difficult to see where the story goes from here, though, because the Borg at times seem too powerful to write stories within, almost like Superman. You you, you kind of had to invent kryptonite so that the story was a story. You got to rein them in. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise it was just the same thing over and over. So... From a writing perspective, it uh, you can almost corner yourself with this. Um, do you think they're too powerful? I mean, spoiler alert, <laughs> they very quickly become too powerful. Yeah, um, timey-wimey. But in this episode, I mean, they are so powerful. They're undefeatable. But it really works in this episode. The climax lets it work, though. Mm-hmm. But you you already put yourself in a trap, though. It's like, and you set up, they're coming back. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're going to be showing up on our doorstep. And it's like, and the assumption is Q is not going to be there that time. So they have to deal with it on their own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, they, they know as they're writing this episode that these characters are coming back. You kind of so, feel like you have a chance maybe because they're based in tech. You're like, okay, so we can potentially scan this and learn from it and, and develop a countermeasure, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not some crystalline entity that shoots phase on energy of whatever dimension. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not Q. No, it's, it's not Q. It's yeah. not omnipotent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know next to nothing about it. And it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very ballsy of Riker to lead a away, away team over just to try to learn something about it. Um, which, which is very, it's like, yeah, they, they do learn a lot of valuable info on that away mission. Um, but yeah, it's a ballsy move. Just to go, <laughs> they have no idea what they're going to run into when they go over there. 
yeah, they haven't established any sort of relationship, like zero. We're just going to, they don't know what part of the ship they're being beamed towards. Like what if they, <laughs> what if they were like in the shower or something? Or a boom to the, <laughs> like to the toilet or something. Oh, no. Just oh. the Borg Queen just scrubbing <laughs> and they're just kind of looking just. Hello, boy. Oh, <laughs> we were just beaming over here and at will, random. I thought this was a crew quarters, maybe. I'd, <laughs> So sorry. Um, yeah, I guess they originally, so these were designed by Maurice Hurley, who was the showrunner at the time. It's probably his biggest contribution to the whole franchise of the Borg. Originally, they were supposed to be more like an insectoid hive mind was the initial concept. But then they're like, this is just going to be too expensive and hard to pull off. So then they came up with the cybernetic thing, which I think it would have been cool to see like an insectoid thing they have to come across. But this is more interesting for storytelling purposes. I think this is the right call. Um, Who knew how topical it would become in 2023? The, uh, the AI merging with a humanoid to create a different existence. Well, um, what FDA just approved Elon Musk Neuralink for human testing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Keyboard music. Um, yeah, it feels, you know, we've seen lots of AI things throughout sci-fi. We we mentioned the Terminator, you know, and like robot death machines. And there's something about the Borg that still really plays though. It's not just some, I don't, it's hard to describe the Borg, at least at this point, because they don't feel like, um, this evil AI that just wants to destroy everything for reasons. It, it almost feels like a force of nature. Like Q kind of described it as like consumption, but, but then he, these minds are all plugged into it and just kind of losing yourself to the machine and that, and kind of losing your sense of self. Um, that still feels like a very kind of actual credible con of developing AI, especially if you start connecting it to the human brain. Right. Yeah, we have no idea what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah, Borg. It's, it's like it's like playing with toys that you don't understand, right? Yeah. We understand so very little about the brain still. You just want to put a microchip in it. Mm-hmm. And plug it in and see what happens. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, Elon. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's also interesting. All the All the big tech bros who are raising all the concerns over AI right now. I mean, Elon does, they all do. And yet they just also seem to be like, we're also developing this as fast as we can. It's like, well, so is it dangerous or not? You're the guys working on it. What the hell? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's a race. <laughs> um, we should briefly talk about Worf and Jordy real quick, just because we haven't, well, a lot of what we were watching before was like, Jordy was the helm officer, Worf was in the background somewhere. Um, now we get to see like a, promote, a promoted Jordy. He's the chief engineer now. He's down below. Worf is also wearing gold. He's like security officer and is much more front and center. Um, I think just compared to, how, how just generally speaking, how does the cast feel at this point? Just based on what we've watched so far. 
I think they're becoming more comfortable with what they're doing. Um, definitely Jordy uh, shows in this episode uh, his level of authority has really gone up. He controls situations better. Um, he's running the show down there. I think that's a good evolution for him. No, I agree. Wesley's at the helm. Seems like oh, oh yeah. yeah. Now he <laughs> has something useful to do. Finally, <laughs> flying, <laughs> fly the ship, boy. What do you think, Aaron? So far, oh, rock solid. Like they're really behind what they're doing now. You can tell, and they're all trying to bring their A game. Um, and still, with everybody bringing their A game now. Uh, Patrick Stewart still shines, which is right. crazy. Him and John Delancey still feel just like they're on a whole other level. They're always so good together. Um, but you know, across the board, like you mentioned, LeVar Burton. I also like um, Jonathan Frakes as Riker in this episode. He felt mm-hmm. like it was a really good, strong performance. I think from him. He has a beard now. Oh yeah, yeah, Daddy Riker now. We haven't really mentioned the beard too much, but here it is. We got bearded Riker, and <laughs> here it is. He's still kind of a a little bit of a mix of season one and like season three and later Riker. It's kind of a little interesting middle ground where he is in this season. Still got um, that bit of recklessness to him. Yeah, just gonna beam over there. Drop your shields. <laughs> Drop your shields. <laughs> Security. Security. <laughs> um. This episode also, seemed a little short on time at times, too. There were really long shots of people gazing just mm-hmm. into the void. Seemed to just <laughs> extend the scene. Enterprise just... <laughs> Still st- <laughs> just this 30-second shot of the Enterprise oh, slowing down. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All about it. But yeah, the long looks. Yeah. Something's wrong. The Guinan gaze. Uh, the Guinan gaze. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and Whoopi has a little more to do in this one. She was in Measure of a Man, but she just had like one brief sle- scene where she talked with Picard about the trial, and basically it's like, this is about slavery. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh. now I know how to win this thing. Here we get to see a little more of like where she comes from. Like her species was destroyed by the Borg. So I guess she gets a little more to do in this one, and she brings a really good presence too. I mean, it's Whoopi. Oh, yeah. Amazing. She kind of steals Troy's thunder a little bit, her character, with her ability to sense things and her timey wimey presence. And, like, yeah. I never realized that before. Delving out advice, which is also Troy's job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Troy basically, she's there the whole episode, but did she even have a line? Maybe when she came in at the beginning, was like, where's the captain? Yeah. And then she was just there for the rest of the episode and said nothing. I don't even know. Oof. <laughs> shafted by Guinan showing up. Guinan's great, though. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny how great Whoopi Goldberg is in this show. Or all the time. We also got Ensign Sonia Gomez in this episode. <laughs> yeah, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Uh, I believe they were actually going to set her up as a recurring character. She shows up in one other episode, and that's it. Um, what happened there? Just didn't... Didn't Just quite didn't take. Out, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. did she really contribute? Well. She she gets a fair amount to do as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does she contribute a lot? What do you think they're trying to do with? Is there anything besides 
when you know it's that you're trying to set up a character, then it makes sense. But it's like, but did she really contribute to the episode itself? They didn't kill her off, did they? No, she shows up again. No. So she's just an engineering helping Jordy for the rest of the episode. Well, I guess it kind of shows, um, it gives Jordy someone to have an, a scene with where he shows off his authority. Mm. So we're kind of showing, oh, yeah, Jordy's the man in charge now. But where's Reg? Right? Has he been introduced yet? Barkley. Barkley. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah, okay. yet. Yeah, because Jordy's not on the bridge like everyone. Mm-hmm. So he kind of needs someone to play off of. Makes right. sense that they would try to come up with someone, like an assistant engineer or whatever, for him to play off. Um, you see characters like that throughout the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. O'Brien shows up in this episode of The Transporter Chief. Yeah. He kind of has that kind of, he's there to kind of bounce stuff off of too. You can see his tank top underneath his costume. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. You gotta wear something. Those things gotta chafe. <laughs> quite a bit um i guess before you wrap it up yeah going to the question we asked earlier just are we justified in achieving we can do anything clearly in this episode the, an- the their answer is no their answer is not yet not yet um that is true and as i was watching i was like the ending kind of though is like in the end Picard has to ask for help is how he wins. So it, it kind it, it almost like, it seems like they're trying to get at this, like you by yourself maybe can't do anything, but maybe like with help. I mean, the board clearly are like the anti, like not the anti version, but just the bad version of it. But it's like the Borg seemingly can do anything. Mm-hmm. They're all working together. Yeah. Um, and almost kind of leaves. It's like, it don't forget, still don't forget to ask for help. So I've changed my answer. What's the, yeah. What's the answer? Now? We can do anything. <laughs> we, 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 not me, but we, <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. eventually. Hmm. Eventually. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The village. By M. Night Shyamalan. I'm not sure long. Any final thoughts on Kirchhoff? Um, This episode <laughs> is an Emmy winner, by the way. What? Really? For what? It won two Emmys. It won an Emmy for sound editing and an Emmy for sound mixing. Okay. Good for awesome. them. <laughs> this uh, is an Emmy award winning episode. I nice. didn't even think about the sound mixing. That means it was great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I. It's an enjoyable episode. It's a frustrating episode. It it'll hold your attention, but it also piss you off at the same time. Um, Q who is a, a great title name, I think actually, because it's like Q who. Now we've got these Borg people. Q is not the big bad anymore. Q who? Yeah. Yeah. The galaxy is a big scary terrifying place and it's absolutely batshit bonkers that we exist at all Mm -hmm. when you really think about it but i guess it's so big that you yeah of course we do i can do anything (laughs) we (laughs) this this episode does make you feel small um what do you think uh where does this step against the key episodes we watched is this the best one yes yeah, easy yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I, I really like this one. I think it's easy to for, it's again, this one's easy to forget amongst the Q episodes, but it's actually I think really strong. Mhm. Um really good episode of Star Trek. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. Um Jake, as always, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks I always love on, when man. we do these Q episodes cuz it means you're coming on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, man. We will most certainly have you back real soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, next week we're finally going to be moving into season three. Um, bum, 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 <laughs> don't sue me for this. Uh, yeah, this is now season three is when it's generally considered the show to be. This is when it really gets good. We've had little previews of it, like Hugh said. This is a preview of things to come. But then season three, the whole show just starts firing on all cylinders, and is, even when it's not like at its best. It's still pretty good, you know. Um, yeah, and you know, in these kind of last two episodes, we've seen both kind of like here's how they're going to do like character morality, play stuff going forward. Here's this episode certainly also like raise the stakes for the show as a whole. So our next, we're going to do a, another little twofer. Um, we're going to do a Romulan twofer, and they're a, the Romulans are a fun way to kind of look at both of these things, like how do you balance race stakes with this kind of character morality um, stuff? They do some fun stuff with the Romulans. So we're going to be watching a couple of Romulan episodes. Um, starting with the enemy <laughs> appropriate title for a Romulan episode, the enemy <laughs> who are the Romulans, the enemy. <laughs> um, and we're going to be having a new friend to come on and talk about that with us. So yeah, new friends. New friends and Romulans. Good times. I wish the Thank Romulans you, everyone. Could be our friends. Thanks, everyone. I said I wish the Romulans could be our friends. I know. Maybe one day. Maybe. You can do anything. Can we can anything. do anything. We can do anything. If we put our minds together, we can accomplish anything. We can be friends with Romulans. <laughs> My ass. I can't My be friends ass. with that individual Romulan. <laughs> that can't happen, but we. Can all be friends with all the Romulans. <laughs> Eighteen people are dead. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.